You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. And welcome to episode 52 of Three Geeky Ladies. I'm Elisa Paselli, and with me are Vicki Stokes. Hello. And Suze Gilbert. Hi, everyone. And welcome back. It's been a couple of weeks since we recorded. It has. Yeah. Well, I think between the three of us, we had vacations and personal stuff going on. So we just took a little hiatus, and we're back. And some of us were reading. And some of us were reading, which is what we're going to be talking about today, but a little bit of housekeeping before we get into our topic of the day. We had an email from listener Mary Jamel, and she was uh, giving us a little feedback on show number 27, which was crafting. She had found another knitting resource at the Ultimate Knitting Resource Guide, and she just wanted to share that with us, and the link to that will be in the show notes. So thank you, Mary, for that. And the other thing I wanted to mention is our listener's choice episode, and we need your feedback. We need to know from you, what are your favorite technology websites, your favorite websites, apps, any kind of piece of technology? We want to know what do you use on a day-by-day basis that you just cannot live without? And you can send us an email. You can send us an audio comment. Uh, you can post on the Three Geeky Ladies website. You can post in the Three Geeky Ladies G Plus community. We want to hear from you, and we want to put this together for an episode uh, coming up sometime in the fall. So we want to hear from you, Fitz. We want to hear from you, Scott and Kevin, uh, <laughs> Kevin Alder and Mark Shepard, Mike McPeak. We want to hear from all of you. Tell us what you use, and please. Mary, no, and Mary Damel. And Mary Damel. Yes, and Ronnie, Scott, Guy, Gaz, we want to hear from all of you. You know who you are. Dorothy, we want to hear from you. So you can get in touch with us on our Facebook page. You can reach us at uh, the Google Plus community. You can reach us through Twitter. All our contact information is on the show notes page, which is at 3 Geeky Ladies with the number three spelled out, 3GeekyLadies.com. So please let us know what your favorite technology is, websites, apps, doesn't have to be an iPad. You know, if you love your Samsung Galaxy, tell us. We want to know. And we will use that in a future episode. Like, of course, if you, it, we might have to uh, berate you if you use a Samsung gallery, but, uh, gallery, <laughs> Galaxy. <laughs> They're so big. I was noticing, though, um, on a commercial today, they have something to do with the battery. They have, I don't know about battery life. I have to look it up. It was a Samsung commercial. And I have to say, I do wish Apple would do something better with the battery. My battery drains like crazy. Yeah, so does mine. So that. does mine. Now, is it the, is it the, I'm not really familiar with products other than the Apple, but is it the Samsung Galaxy that's the really large phone or is it the tablet or is it both? I think, I think it's the really large phone. I only saw one in the wild and that was when I was down in North Carolina. I was at the Charlotte airport and somebody, I think it was Charlotte. And I saw a businessman walking by, and it looked so ridiculous. I'm sorry if you guys use one. It just looked ridiculous. I don't like things that big. I mean, it's just so awkward to hold in your hand. But I do yeah. think that the screen is fabulous. It looks great. It's just too big. Yeah. It's like a a, a mini iPad mini. (laughs) Yeah. It just looked, I mean, it might be fabulous as far as, like you said, the screen and the apps and the function and everything that that it does. But just looking at this man walking by with a briefcase in one hand and this huge phone in the other up to his ear, it just looks silly. It reminds me of the first uh, mobile phones that came out. They're like these big, huge blocks. They're Mm -hmm. bigger than your head. (laughs) Yeah. So today we wanted to talk a little bit about, not even a little bit, a lot, about books, about what we're reading. And Vicki, you've got a really good list here. Oh, yeah. I, I read a lot of series because I, I used to commute a lot. And I just found that, you know, you just go to the next book in the series and just go along and see what's going on with the characters. And one of my favorite is Simon R. Green's Nightside book series. Um, he's actually finished his 12th and final novel in the Nightside series, uh, at least he said for now. 
and that book is The Bride Wore Black Leather. Uh, it's a uh, series about uh, uh, John Taylor, who's a private investigator uh, in this fictional nightside um, envi uh, uh, environment that's actually the underbelly of London. Um, and in that environment, supernatural and science fiction, super technology, can, they coexist. And um, John Taylor has his mysterious powers where he can figure out what the meaning, what, what, what starts something, what, what creates something. So he destroys things by finding out what makes it run, what's its weak spot. And that's how he, that's his superpower. Um, but what's really funny, good about it is that it's funny, it's humorous, it's, it's tongue in cheek. Uh, and he's just a smooth read, uh, a read. It's a very easy read. Um, he um, creates these characters and he just brings them to life on, in the book. And it's just really fun to follow. Um, but uh, yeah, it's only 12 books. Uh, for me, that's not a lot. I could finish those in like uh, a month, uh, a summer. <laughs> uh, and that's pretty much what I did. I caught up, I discovered it about three years ago. And I caught up, uh, I think it was like maybe book seven or something like that, that he was on. And I caught up and then every book he, that comes out, I grab it immediately. But I'm still in the process of finishing up um, the Bright War Black Leather. He has other books in the series, but uh, I haven't gotten around to reading the other series that he has. But Simon R. Green, Nightside series. Um, he's an English writer, obviously. Um, but, um, it's pretty good. Uh, unlike the other English book that we are all reading, a book that's written by Englishmen, and we know what that is. <laughs> could, yes. could we be talking about Game of Thrones? Uh -huh. Yes. <laughs> well, I was, I listened to the first book and it was, I, I borrowed it from the library and they give you three weeks. Well, guess what? That that wasn't happening. It took more like six or seven weeks for me to finish listening to that book. And I've just discovered that I can't listen to books. I'm too distracted. When I'm reading on my Kindle, I have to focus on the words on the page. When I'm listening to a book, I'm usually at the gym. And my gym has TVs all over the place, even though they're on mute. And I'm constantly looking up the TV to see what's going on. And they're on all different stations. So I'm missing half of what I'm supposed to be listening to. <laughs> And I just, I just seem to comprehend better when I'm reading the written word as opposed to listening to it. But I listened to the first book, and I'm currently reading the second book, A Clash of Kings, and I'm about 75% of the way through. And at that, I've also been reading for a really long time. I've been, I think I started that in June, and it's now July, July 20th, as we record this. So I'm really, really hoping I finish the book this week. Um, one thing I found with this book, and I don't know if the two of you agree since all three of us watch Game of Thrones, I find it's much, it's much easier to understand what's going on in the book having seen the show. I think just the opposite of that. Do you? Because I think they leave out a lot in the show. True. That have I, had I not, it, it completes the circuit for me when I watch the show because they, they omit so much and I get a little more of the, you know, the background history of the characters. So no, I think I prefer the book over the, the I, show. And this. I, I, I felt that way in the first couple of books. I'm on book, I finished book five and I have no interest in reading book six. It's just a lot of yak, 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 and no action. Um, it's not worth it for me. Uh, for the one or two pleasures I get out of seeing the people I hate go, uh, get get it, <laughs> get what they deserve. Right, um, right. It's just too long. It's just like so tedious. And I'm like, the um, a dance of dragons took so long to get to the point, and it wasn't really a point. It just ended, and I didn't like that. I was like, God. Well, I found that when I was listening to book one, that had I not seen the show already, I would have been so lost that I would have just said the heck with this and I probably would have given up after a couple of hours of listening because all the, you know, the characters have unusual names, which makes it difficult. And to this day, I still forget who belongs to what house. Is this person a Lannister? 
or is this person a Stark? I mean, nothing, not people like um, Cersei or Ara or anything like that, but like certain knights and, you know, certain people that affiliate with the Lannisters or affiliate with the Starks or, you know, whomever. I couldn't, I, I couldn't keep it straight. I, I, I felt that some of the characters that's introduced in the book aren't even important. They're just, just people that's thrown in. And I felt I was wasting my time trying to figure out who they were and what purpose they served. Uh, he just has too many characters. It's just going on too long. Um, I'm hating this book. <laughs> I so, love it. I hate it. Uh, well, I, I agree. I think George Martin is a little, I mean, he, there's a lot of verbosity in this book. Oh, and God. I think it could be cut down. I think uh, J.K. Rowling did the same thing in her later Harry Potter book. Yes. They get so involved, the author, with their own storyline that they introduce characters that really are such auxiliary characters. They they don't add really to the storyline. And then it becomes more of a a mapping of the character, of, of the new characters, like where do they belong, who are, you know, you're trying to keep track of all of these these characters. So for me, the hallmark of a, of a big series like this, a, a book, is to concentrate on a few characters, the stronger characters. And yeah, you can have auxiliary characters coming in and out of the, the plot line, but I agree with you, Vicki. I think it's getting uh, almost too beefy. Yeah. Not so much the plot, yeah. But just the All it's these just people. Uh, it's just like a line, a line of people. It's like poor. And the story you is know, going nowhere. And it's like, come on, yeah. I want to find out what happens with this person. You haven't talked about this person in eight chapters. You know? <laughs> like, right. I think I think that's a danger with successful authors when they create something like when they create a an, another world, like you know, Rowling did and Martin has and you know, various people. Um, Tolkien was, I mean, granted, I even hate to mention him, but still there were so many characters you had to keep track of in Middle Earth yeah, as but, well. But he had an elaborate story though. It was very He did. Oh gosh, yes. Yeah. And you know what? He yeah. didn't really deviate from that too much. I mean, you knew, yeah. Yeah. I mean, with the Fellowship of the Ring series, mm-hmm. it was all about, you know, the ring. Yeah. And yeah. no, I, I really have to say that I like his books because he was a linguist and I love his use of language. Mm-hmm. I think it's very beautiful. Um, but yeah, I'm finding it's hard to, it, it's hard for my mind to keep with the game of Thrones. That's why I think the TV show, the TV show is so helpful, you know? Well, something else that helps is the game of Thrones guide for iPad, which uh, Vicki, you remember when we met Sarah Kewen over at Macworld, one of the PR people, she recommended that highly. So I downloaded it and it, it's a free app, but it's worth it to spend the four ninety nine because what it allows you to do is if you only are at a certain point, like I'm at book two, so I have a little, there's a little um, bar where you can not see the spoilers for books three, four, and five. So it's only going to talk about characters that are in books one and or two. So let's say if Cersei wasn't introduced to book four, I would not see her listed as a character. But what's nice about it is when you're reading the book, you can see, uh, okay, they mentioned Cersei, and you go, who is she again? And then you can look it up, and it will tell you who she is, if she's married, her parents, her family, and you can just click on all these different links to see relationships. Plus, you can also talk about the different castles, because I'm reading this going, okay, wait a minute. Storm Run, is Winterfell the Starks, or is... Or is that Lannisters? I mean, it gets really confusing. So I can just look in there and say, okay, Winterfell belongs to this family. Or it'll show you where things are on a map in relation to other things. So it's kind of, it's kind of, it's a nice reference to help you out. Well, you can read up to the book five. And uh, I think the series is finally hitting into book five. With the end last season, they were into book five. So I don't know how much hmm. he has left. Because one of the things I found interesting is um, an event that happened this past season that we just finished watching on TV, which is what, season four? Mm -hmm. It happened, that particular event took place in book one. Yeah, they, um, he says in the the book that, um, as a preamble to the book, that the things are not necessarily in the book occurring at the same, each chapter is not necessarily occurring at the same time. It could be 
earlier or later. And mm. he does not let you know that. So that's what's so confusing. You know, you don't know if someone's dead now in this chapter or they're, they're dead earlier in the other chapter. And the people don't know what's going on in that chapter. So that's, that's understandable because they're not there. It's not like they got, you know, email or phone to call to let somebody know what's going on. Uh, that it takes a while. But it, just to put that disclaimer in the front does not help the story. He needs to figure out how to link this stuff so we know what's going on. Um, I still am invested in knowing what happens, but I'm not going to read the book to find out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have I have the five books. I think I have all five books. Yeah. The first five, I should say. And I, th- my plan is, even before we had this conversation, was to finish book two and take a break because I've been reading yeah. nothing but Game of Thrones or listening yeah. Yeah. since April. So that's yeah. what April, May, June. So it's going to be like four months or so. I'm taking a break. And what I might read next is one of Suze's recommendations, which is The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Mm-hmm. I might read that book. That's a great book. One of my all-time favorite books. Yep. I think that's what I make it into. So um, what do you recommend next, Suze? Oh, me? Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Besides the immortal life of Henrietta Lacks. <laughs> well, I'll get, I have that on my list later, but I wanted to let all the bibliophiles know out there that if they, they probably already do. But um, if you are a voracious reader like I am and I think Vicki and Elisa are, um, you want to download Goodreads. They, it's an app on your, for your iPad or your iPhone. And also they have a great website. So if you're on your computer, you can also access Goodreads through... Uh, their website. But what is wonderful about this app, it has a bar scanner. So if you're in a bookstore or you're um, somewhere, you can scan the book and put it on your want to read list so you don't forget titles. I tend to do that all the time. I used to use notes, excuse me, on my iPhone to like write down what people were mentioning. And now you can just go into Goodreads. You can, If they mention a book, you can search for it. And then you can put it on your want to read list. You can basically... You can also um, uh, rate the the books that you have read and keep an ongoing tally of all the books you've read. Because, you know, sometimes if it's been years, you think, geez, did I read that book? So it's really nice. You can create your own bookshelves. And it's every genre of book that you um, that you can think of. So art, classics, contemporary cookbooks, poetry, you name it. You're also able to through the app, access um, groups, you know, so I'm in a couple of book clubs that do have a Goodreads group. And you can invite friends, you can also keep the progress of your book, you know, if you want to know what page that you're at in a certain book. I just think it's a really fabulous way to keep track of your book. So Goodreads is something I would definitely uh, recommend. And segueing in from Goodreads. So if you don't have that, go to the App Store. It's a free app. Download it and go to create account on uh, your computer. So you you have it right there at your fingertips all the time. And you can also uh, put your eBooks. You can download eBooks on Goodreads. They have a lot of public domain books that you're able to download free for for, um, through that. Also, when we were, Elisa was just talking about the immortal life of Henrietta Lacks. I mentioned that book, I think, last year in a podcast, and <clears throat> Henrietta Lacks was a, um, a, a poor African-American woman that had cancer, and her cells, her cancer cells, were basically um, removed from her body by Johns Hopkins uh, without her knowledge, and they were able to use them in all sorts of various applications, so for... Um, you know, gene mapping. Uh, they went up. They went up into space. Uh, cancer. They have been bought and sold over and over and over. And they're called HeLa cells. So the first um, two letters of her first name and her last name. She got no recognition for this. She died, and her family really didn't know much about that because you know at that time, um, you know, you went to a hospital and you did whatever they asked you know you to do. So I, what Rebecca Skloot has done, she got close to the family and she was able to piece together Henrietta's life. And then, you know, it does, I won't tell you all of the book, but it's a fascinating story about, um, you know, 
cancer cells, uh, you know, all, all about cells and how scientists use them in various ways for vaccines, for, you know, treatments, for um, all sorts of applications, exper- you know, experimentation, research. I think this is just a fabulous book. I've read it twice. I, I will probably read it again in the next year or so. I just really like the way it was written. And Rebecca does a, the author does a great job in explaining the biology, cellular biology, and also the different applications in which, you know, scientists and doctors use that. So you'll be able to understand and really grasp at how significant uh, Henrietta Lacks was to, to all of us, actually. So great book to read. Good. Sounds interesting. Okay, so my next book is uh, by Patricia Cornwell. Uh, I've read the entire series of Kay Scarpetti. No, no, actually, I'm sort of behind on that series. Um, but uh, Kay Scarpetta is a fictional character uh, of a series of crime novels by Patricia Cornwell. Um, she, I think she appears in the first book, um, Postmortem, uh, and she's a Virginia chief medical examiner. Um, and she's actually inspired by a, 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 a real character, a real person. Um, and it's uh, all about, uh, forensic technology in all of her investigations. Uh, I like to, I like, uh, female, uh, her- heroes and, uh, protagonists in, in, um, my books and hers is a very strong, intelligent, smart woman with flaws, uh, like we all have. And um, she loves her family, and she tries to take care of them. Um, but she's a, a career woman, and her career has taken over her life. And it's how she tries to weave her way through the, her investigations and help her family and uh, stay intact. Um, I think she's on book number. Gosh. Um, I don't, eight, I think, I think eight books, I'm not sure, but that's a lot of characters in her books, and they are really, really um, well-defined characters, actually it's more than that, I, I don't know, I don't know the count of how many books it is, it's quite a number, and I'm on maybe, I, um, book eight or so in the entire series, but it's a really, really, really good series, if you like strong female characters, um, and um, the personal relationships don't become the whole story. I sort of, because I like the investigation and the mystery uh, more than I do about what's going on in these people's personal lives. I, I think that's sort of a TV kind of thing where they, we have to know about everything that goes on in these characters' lives. And I, I don't think that that's necessary. A little is great, but when you start deviating into, oh, well, she's going to marry this guy, or they're in love with this guy, or they're making Google eyes at each other, <laughs> that interferes with the main story, which is the mystery and the investigation. You don't I, like the Google eyes? I, I am not kidding. <laughs> I, I, when I was 13, I liked that. I, I'm a bit too old for that. Oh, he's so adorable, you know. <laughs> okay, if I want to read that, I will get a book in that genre. But when I want to read a mystery, I want to follow the mystery. So I like job, I she. I love Patricia Cornwell. I used to read her a lot because I like Case Carpetta. I mean, she's a she. She is Vicky. She's such a strong character. I like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she's got some gonads for sure. <laughs> she's not. She's not perfect at all. No, and she's human. In her life is, but you know, yeah, on TV they create these characters. They make no mistakes. They're perfect. They don't do anything wrong. This woman is a regular person, and you can tell that she based it on a real person. And you can tell that a lot of the the forensic stuff is real. It's not something that you're just making up. So, no, because that that's always a big thing for me. You know, having a medical background. If something. Um, the, the first season of ER, I thought was terrible because they were making so many mistakes. I mean, if yeah. you remember the first uh, season of ER, you know, they were all, you know, mm-hmm. messing around in the closet. I'm like, yeah, you know, maybe. How do yeah. they get into the, the yeah. stairwell of a hospital? Without yeah. alarm setting. Yeah. <laughs> so I always think that, you know, she does her research. And it's always nice that yes. if you're going to have somebody that's writing a thriller or a mystery novel to do the research. And, you know, it. It, I think it shows that 
like with the second season of ER, they got some medical advisors, you know, and it, it was much yeah. more realistic, much more palatable. And I think that's what Patricia Cornwell does too. I mean, I like the way she does her research. But I think the guy that wrote it was a doctor. The guy that wrote what? Well, the ER? uh, show for ER, he was a doctor. If wow. we let that happen, um, a lot of medical people complain. My sisters would not let me watch that show because one of them actually worked in the ER at the time when it came out. And uh, I have another sister's a nurse too. They were like, this is ridiculous. Oh, me too. It used How to tick me a, off. I've I just never been in the ER that has a hallway that long. <laughs> That's not a waste of kind of real estate in the hospital to be pushing a gurney all the way down that hallway. It's, it's one thing if something is written tongue-in-cheek like scrubs. You know, yeah, that's yeah, tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> ER really wasn't. It was set as, up as a drama. And, yeah. you know, a little bit of comedy thrown in. But pretty much it was a drama. And what ticked me off about it is nurses at that time, you know, weren't getting a lot of respect we were, we're were getting very low pay, like yeah. teachers, and not a lot of respect. And that's the last thing you need when people, you know, tend to sexualize a profession. Yeah. You know, yeah. so. Yeah, all you guys did was have, have relationships. Though there is that going on in, at any job place, that's not everything that is. In the, in the, I don't know how you have time in the ER to be hiding in rooms and kissing and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> people are dying around you. <laughs> I know. Okay. Do do either of you read John Grisham? I have read I have read John Grisham. Yes, yes. I haven't read yes. his new ones though. I've read no, I, I read the early ones. Yeah, I've yeah. read every book. Okay, I'm a huge John Grisham fan. But the problem with John Grisham though is you can't remember what happened in specific books because <laughs> they all have the same theme. Yeah. It's about a lawyer. You know, in a small Mississippi, Tennessee town. Write what you know, and that's what he knows. And that's <laughs> yeah. what he knows, right. Knows, yeah. it, that's, that's the only problem. But I remember the very first book I read by him was The Firm. Me too. I like that, that one. And Me too. It, was, it, was a, it was a fabulous book. It's still to this day my favorite John Grisham book. Yeah. Um, normally, the book, the book is always better than the movie. This is a case where if I hadn't read the book i loved the movie and i think i saw the movie i can't remember now if i saw the movie first or then i read the book or vice versa but the movie on its own most of his movies i don't think were very good a lot of them were like the pelican brief was awful a lot of those movies weren't very good i watched them but they weren't very good the book was always so much better the Firm is to this day is still my favorite book but the problem i have with some of his books and the firm is one of them and a time to kill is you get to the you get to the climax of the story, and then it just like falls off the cliff. It mm. just ends, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, like with the time to kill was about uh, a black girl who was raped yep. by white men, and the girl's father killed the white men, mm-hmm. and the man was on trial, so. You're thinking in this day and age, you know, with with tensions, if the man was found guilty, there'd be a group of people that were protesting. And if the man was found innocent, there'd be a group of people that were protesting. But they come to the conclusion, you know, of whether he's guilty or innocent, the end. And I'm just thinking, wait a minute, that's not the real world. That's not what would have happened. After the verdict was announced, something else would have happened. And that's what happens with a lot of his books. You know, you come to the conclusion, you know, the bad guy is caught or, you know, the verdict is in. And then in real world, something else would have happened. And that doesn't happen in his books. As that's like probably my only complaint. Yeah, he's only concerned about solving the crime. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, the verdict is in. The person's found guilty or innocent. On to the next book. But that's probably how it is in a lawyer's life. You try a case, and yeah. unless it's unless there's full of tensions, like you know, with uh, Casey Anthony or George Zimmerman mm-hmm. or something like that, you know, they go on to the next case. You know. Yeah, but people aren't like that. People, his readers aren't like that. No, they're going to want to know what happens next. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't have to be a hundred pages. It could just yeah. be like a synopsis, like you know, an three epilogue. months later. Yeah. Yeah. An exactly. Three yeah. months that's later, the after the verdict. X, Y, and Z happened. Yeah. That's the reason why I could not re- finish that book because I know his formula. And that beginning chapter of that book 
was awful. I could not go any further. I said, I'm done. I, I can't read this one. <laughs> it was just awful. I, I, I just imagine a child being attacked. Mm-hmm. And I said, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to end, but I'm not satisfied with how they end either. Up, Elisa. I prefer for you to give me a little bit, even if it's continuing, sitting at the table and the family is discussing what happened and where they, what they're going to do next. Mm-hmm. End it like that, you know? Right. Uh, instead of the trial is not everything to me, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. If he was found guilty, let's talk about how they're going to appeal it. If he was found innocent, how did it affect the community? Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just like I said, they, they they found him, you know, I'm not going to say what, but they found him, you know, the verdict. And then and we lived happily ever after. So you like end. all yeah. the ends tied up. I don't um, like the ends tied up, but to, to at least address it, don't go, OK, that's it. Bye bye. Yeah. It, yeah, it's exactly. It was like the same thing happened with the firm. You know, an event happened at the end, which could have led to other mm-hmm. events and it just stopped. Well, there would definitely be. um Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, fallout in the firm with that particular ending. There were definitely in the real world, something else would have happened and it wasn't addressed. You know, like I said, it doesn't have to go on for a hundred more pages. And if he chooses to make a sequel. Like they were supposed to, he was supposed to write a sequel to A Time to Kill. Yeah. Which... I'm not sure if that was supposed to be Sycamore Row. No, it wasn't Sycamore Row. But I don't know what ever happened to that. Well, this is what my question is. If you read all his books and you're very dissatisfied with the ending, then why the heck are you reading his books? That's why I stopped reading <laughs> Well, because overall, because overall, I like his books. Yeah, it's an I, interesting story. And you want to figure out how he solves it. And also, the other thing that's interesting is... is He's still, I believe he's still, I don't know if he's really a practicing lawyer, but I believe he's still a licensed lawyer. So he could practice if he chose to. And you read about certain things about how lawyers behave. And it's just like, you go, oh my God. Yeah. Like, it's, it's kind of like when you're watching um, political shows and you see how the government behaves. Yeah. And you go, oh my God, is that really happening? Mm-hmm. And it is. Like, if you read the book, um, I'm looking at his page right now. It's the book called, oh, God, he's got 14 pages here on Amazon. Uh, I'm trying to think which book it was. Um, um, King of Torts, I think is what it's called. I think it's called The King of Torts. And it's just about a lawyer. It's just about, like, a really scummy lawyer. Here it is, A King of Torts came out. Um, yep, King of Torts. And you just read that, and I was just, like, getting the creeps reading it, thinking lawyers behave that way. Horrible. Mm-hmm. How horrible. Yeah, but the only thing that, uh, besides the ending, that is like a running thing that's sort of like really funny is that he he's a lawyer in Mississippi, mm-hmm. and as he always meets some little poor woman who needs help. He falls in love with her, and he helps her out with her problem, and you know, it's, it's. I wonder if that's his real life, and he's writing about himself, and he's putting himself in these roles. Um, if so, he needs to start writing about somebody else. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is my opinion. And he does have some interesting per- lawyer that you want to write a story about. He, he. Did you read the book, The Innocent Man? That was a nonfiction book. That was a book about a man who was wrongly placed on death row. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I didn't read it, but I remember it when it came out. Yeah, that was that was interesting. Yeah. That was an interesting book. Did it end? It wasn't his formula, right? Um, no, it was a little bit different. Um, it, it basically traced how circumstances led to this particular individual being convicted of a crime he did not commit oh. and then trying to find the person who really actually did it. And this person was sent to death row. And, you know, did they get, you know, did they find the right guy in time? You know, did the guy end up going to death row? Was he executed or was he not executed? Um, So it was it was it was an interesting and it does make you think if if you feel one way about the death sentence, it might necessarily change your mind. But you might start thinking about why the other side thinks the way they do. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you're for the death sentence, you can understand why the opponents are against it and vice versa. 
Yeah. Not that you're going to change your mind. You might, you know, you feel the way you feel, but at least you have a better understanding of why the other side feels the way they do. Yeah. The, the, the inequality in terms of who gets put up for a death penalty. Like mm-hmm. Rich people rarely get death penalty, even though they do the same crime as poor people do. Right. Uh, and most people on death, on death row are poor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, regardless of what race, they are poor. <laughs> Rich people do not get the death penalty. So, um, that issue, you know, even even not even dealing with race, it, it it's really something you have to think about. But you, if somebody kills someone through the ultimate crime, I don't know if they're my family member, you know, those issues um, mm-hmm. are really really serious. Yeah. Well, he's got. I, I, so so that's the only nonfiction book he's written. I think so. Uh, he has written a few books. He's written the children's series, and he's also written a couple of books that had nothing to do with law. Yeah. They were just totally, you know, just, just fiction. And I read two of them and wasn't impressed with either he's one of a, them. He's an easy read, though. You know, he's not, he, he gets the story done. He gets to, yeah. in there, the flow of his books are mm-hmm. really good to follow. That's the reason why he's a series, uh, 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 he's good for writing series. If you like that style, you can easily read all his books. Yeah, and it's also a yeah. book that's very difficult to get from the library because, at least our library, it's very difficult. You have to wait months. There's a lot of people that love Cause, it. But, sure. Yeah, and he's got a new yeah. book coming out in October called mm-hmm. Grey Mountain, which is another another lawyer book. Okay. So if, you're, if you've read all the books, he's got one coming out in October. Yeah. I, mean, I have a sister that loves Grisham. She's always... Yeah, I do. Well... My book is another nonfiction book that I'm reading right now. I'm probably halfway through it. It's by Stephen Greenblatt. It's a National Book Award winner, and it's called The Swerve, How the World Became Modern. And basically, um, I really love the period of history that I love are, is the medieval era. I really absolutely just love that portion of time. I love the way that you know people think it was the Dark Ages, but actually... It wasn't. They, um, you know, they created the jury system, the town square. Um, they had uh, so many inventions uh, in that particular area of time that I just absolutely, um, you know, Gothic churches, I always tend to gravitate towards anything that deals with medieval art, uh, medieval history or medieval art history. So this one kind of um, it intrigued me. And this is about Lucretius, Lucretius' poem. Um, he, <clears throat> it's called On the Nature of Things. And Stephen Greenblatt went to Yale, and one summer he was, you know, just rumbling around in like a sale book. Uh, I think he picked this paper book up for 10 cents, and it was On the Nature of Things. And he became totally enamored with this book. People say it's a poem, Lucretius, it's his masterpiece, and a lot of people feel it's a, it's a very bold work of, of philosophy. And when he started reading it, he realized that this could have been into oblivion had it not been for book hunters back in the medieval ages, where after the Roman Empire fell, many of the Greek and Roman texts, you know, just if they weren't copied by monasteries, they basically, we have just lost so many uh, masterpieces of literature because of this. It, it, you know, people, they just disappeared. You know, they weren't copied. People didn't find them. And so his book, The Swerve, basically deals with this book hunter in the 1400s named Poggio. And he came across this, Lucretius's poem, uh, On the Nature of Things, and he had it copied. And... What deal of what Greenblatt talks about is how this particular poem was such a, you know, if you're thinking, um, you know, to Christian eyes back then, it was very scandalous. And that's why really people didn't want to have it come to light, probably. But he, Lucretius had the nerve to uh, talk about pleasure. Should, it should be part of life. And, you know, for Christians with hellfire and brimstone, that wasn't uh, something that they really advocated. But those, it, it started to circulate during the Renaissance period. 
Thomas Jefferson owned, about, I think, at least five Latin editions of On the Nature of Things, and Galileo, Freud, uh, Einstein, Darwin, they all drew uh, ideas from it. And I, th- you know, it sounds a little dry, but actually it's not. It's very, very interesting. I'm really, really enjoying this book. I think he does a great job about of creating the landscape of the medieval uh, times, and he really brings you through. You know, um, what he doesn't say what Poggio would think. He basically gives you an idea of what he thinks. So it's not, it's not like he said, she said. It's basically he may have done this when he, you know, he. Um, reach the monastery. I kind of like that because who knows when you're, when you're dealing with hundreds of years in the past, who knows what, that's what bothers me sometimes with historical fiction is when they do a, he said, she said. So I like the fact he brings you up to speed on, um, how scripts were copied in the scriptorium. He talks about, um, you know, Pompeii and how they recovered, 1100 scrolls because of course things were um, written on papyrus and they use scrolls Uh, it's just really interesting I think it's a really neat um, book with historically and it makes me want to go find a copy of the nature of things and read it myself and I don't know I I like it I like I like nonfiction and this is a really good nonfiction one for me to read this summer A lot there. Well, you know, you may, you know, sometimes people might say, oh, you know, it's probably really dry, but it's really not dry. It's actually quite interesting. And of course, I really love um, that whole healing that I really love the Roman and Greek art history. So I think that's what appealed to me. And I I also like Greek texts. So not that I read Greek because I don't, but when I was doing, um, some Roman and Greek history in college, that was like my favorite class. So I guess this, this fell in, in step with my heart. Well, that doesn't segue very well. Into my <laughs> I know, and I was thinking of how am I going to segue from John Grisham into Stephen Greenblatt. Oh, I, my God. You this made, is... I, I, before we started, I said, I looked at your list, and I, I felt like, oh, man, my books are so trivial and silly. All of yours I know. Vicki, you and I are just reading the light fluff, you know. I know. <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> I have, well, I have Joe Nesbitt on there, who I love my hairy hole. Oh, my God, I love my hairy hole. I can't get enough of him. But I'll talk about him after. <laughs> okay. So my next book is by um, another British author. Uh, I don't know why I love British authors. And they're, they're all male, too, for some reason. Um, the pen na- his pen name is Lee Child, uh, but I believe his name is John Grant, his real name. Um, he is the Jack Reacher character. I mentioned that before. I think last year I mentioned it, uh, that this is one of my favorite series. Um and uh, it's a it's Jack Reacher is a fictional character and the protagonist of his book series. Uh, he's a former major in the U.S. Army. Uh, he was in the military police corps in the U.S. Army, uh, and he quit uh, and starts roaming the United States, taking odd jobs and investigating um, dangerous situations. Um, uh, and then they did the, uh, a, a movie on it with Tom Cruise, and they screwed that up. Yeah, it wasn't very that that movie wasn't very good. I didn't see it. I just refused to watch it. <laughs> I mean, I, I mentioned this before last year: is that the character is supposed to be this big, humongous mm-hmm. guy, yeah, tall, right, buff, huge, you know. And Tom Cruise is the opposite of that. Right. Yeah, I read I read one of those books, those Jack Reacher books, and it yeah. one of the scenes he was running and he was like dying because he was just so big. Big. He couldn't yeah. run. Yeah, he's a really big, humongous guy, and he's very smart. He, yeah, that's the, the the thing is that he people underestimate him. He's very very smart. And he was an excellent cop, and it's about I like revenge stories, and his story, he's always helping people and get helping people solve their problem and. He doesn't want money for it, and he doesn't have a home. It's just his life, you know. It, 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 have you ever wondered what your life would have been if you just didn't have the responsibility of a home and family and all that other stuff? And he's fine with that, you know, which is sort of fascinating to me because 
I'm totally not like that. I got to have a place to stay. And I, I'm not going to jump in the middle of somebody else's fray if I think I'm going to get hurt. Okay. So he's, he's exactly the opposite of what my life is like or what your life, most people's life is. But I like his ethic, his work ethic. I just like the character. Um, he's a very clean writer. That's what, uh, what I call people who just story is there. There's no fancy stuff. There's no, not a lot of, oh, well, the sun is nice and, and the, the, the grass is green. None of that. He gets right to the point, And that's what I like. I don't like stories that deviate. When, I'm, when I want to read a story like this, crime-solving kind of story, I want you to get your butt to the point. I don't want you to ramble on like George R.R. R. Martin. And <laughs> <laughs> Back to him. But uh, that's the reason why I like the series. I know the character, and I just want to see how he's going to solve this next one. That's it. Mm -hmm. Well, I am going to do some shameless self-promotion. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really for me. It's for my son. My son, my middle son is a teacher. And uh, he actually, he's t he taught first grade this past school year. And then this school year, he's going to start teaching fourth grade. But applaud, he, applaud, applaud. yep, he's going to teach fourth, <laughs> fourth grade math, which I don't know why he's doing math, but he was an English major, but whatever. He knows fourth grade math, at least. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean, he was he was an education major, but he specialized in English. But he has yeah. written he has written four books, all published on Amazon, and three of them are the Teacher That Didn't Teach series, and uh, the books are and I should know this without looking, but there's the Teacher That Didn't Teach, there's the Teacher That Taught Too Much, and the Teacher That Changed My Life. So the first book takes place in fifth grade, the second book is in sixth grade, and then the third book is in seventh grade. And I asked him if he's got a book for eighth grade, he hasn't thought of anything yet, he doesn't have a plot. So right now it's just those three books, they are available on the Kindle, and they're also, if you have Prime, you can borrow them for free, or you can order them uh, as a paperback, and they'll be or they're printed one by one through um, the Amazon, um, I forget what they call it now, but the program where they just print one book as, as it's ordered. And they've gotten really good reviews, if I do say so, um, and and they're good. And of course, my mother read it. My mother does not read, but she read it, and she was oh, you know, as a grandmother would do, the best yeah. book I've ever read. Oh, you know, <laughs> these, these are children's books, right? They are, but I've read them too. Yeah, but I'm just trying to figure out numerous times got, because I, I was editing. Niece, I was editing I them. Got, I got and nieces and nephews that love to read, so I can get that for them. Oh, they're absolutely for they're absolutely for children. I mean, there's no foul language. Yeah. There's, I mean, the third book is a little bit darker, um, just because of something that happened in book two kind of carried over into book three, and the main character got a little bit dark, and it's basically how a teacher changed his life and just pulled him out of that darkness and. Mm -hmm got him mm. to see, you know, things in a new way. But it's not, it, it's not, there's like, there's no foul language, there's no violence. It's just, you know, it's totally rated G. Has he thought about going back and doing the four, uh, the fourth, third, and second, and first grade? Going backwards? Probably not. I can mention to him, he's yeah. actually, you know, lives in North Carolina, and he's um, heading home. He'll be home tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. So I can... Uh, so they can go from the first all the way up to the... To the eighth and, and up to high school. I guess. He could he could do the prequel. Yeah, do the prequels. <laughs> but yeah, he's gotten yeah. you know he's gotten good reviews on him. Good for him. Yeah, yeah. So shameless self promotion. <laughs> That's interesting. Well, my segue is going from ancient Roman philosophers, um, and it was going back to on the nature of things um, on the swerve. That I, I completely messed up um, about saying what the swerve meant. And because Lucretius basically believed in the Epicurean belief system that there was no miracles, everything was very, you know, realistic, and you could not violate the laws of nature. I think that's why so many scientists, this was such a revolutionary work. Um, that's what a swerve is, is basically it's an unexpected, unpredictable movement of matter. So that's where the title came from. But my next book, is the goldfinch and i know that's been really really um you know it's been on the bestseller list by donna tart i decided to uh i decided to um read it a couple months ago and i 
absolutely fell in love with it. I, I didn't move literally off the couch for two days until I finished it. It's a tome. I mean, it's a really big book, but her characters, it took her 12 years to write this book. It, it is such a meaty book. Her, her characters are fabulous. So the main character is Theo and he and his mother, they, you know, live in New York city. And I, I don't want to give away too, too much of the plot line. Um, but when he uh, is at the Metropolitan Museum of Art with his mother, uh, a terrorist bomb goes off. And basically, there is an old man there that tells him to take this painting, and it's the Goldfinch, and it's by Clairol um, Forbidius. And the Frick had an exhibition, I think it was last year, where they had Dutch masters. So this painting, the Goldfinch, was on display as well as The Girl with a Pearl Earring by Vermeer. And the, the employees of the Frick were absolutely amazed because the line went out the door down a block just for people to see this, this painting, this small little painting, the goldfinch, because of this book. But her characters are just wonderful. She has such quirky characters. So, of course, you have Theo, and he has a deadbeat father um, that lives in Las Vegas with his girlfriend. And he, when he has to go out to L, uh, Las Vegas, uh, he meets this Russian kid called Boris. And just the way that she weaves, I think she, she does, she's very masterful with language. She's very, um, the, the way that she has the plot, uh, you know, it, it clips along at a fairly good rate. Because, you know, sometimes with books, if it, they're so large, like George Martin sometimes, I find that I'm just kind of plowing through. I'm just skim reading because I'm getting bored, you know, with the characters. I was not bored at once with this book. I just, I, I didn't want it to end. I knew the ending was com- coming after how many pages. And I just, I think it was like 600 pages. Maybe it was more than that. But I was just dreading uh, when the end came. It, it was a great ending. She, you know, Elisa, you would like it because she tied, I think she tied up the ends fairly well. I, I would, I would never believe there would be a, uh, a sequel to this book, but the goldfinch, I think it was just a tour de force. I, I loved the book. I know some people, there's been various reviews on Amazon, but I would, um, definitely, eventually read it again. It's one of those books. I just, I love the characters in it. And I loved the way, she really discussed about the painting. You just became enamored with this painting. And I became very enamored with Hobie, who it was so nice and refreshing to see a male figure in a young boy's life without having something nefarious go on, that he truly was a wonderful, um, uh, almost like a foster father uh, to Theo. Just fabulous book. Highly recommend it. Yes, this is very... um well received. Oh. What's with the bestseller for a long term? Oh, it's just a great book. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's got I'll... over 12,000 customer reviews on Amazon. Oh. Yep. Yep. Wow. <laughs> See, I don't always read just yeah, but weird that's stuff. Yeah, a really, really good book. <laughs> yeah, 775 that's, pages. That's a really, really good book. Do you know what yeah. I feel now that I'm getting older? And I know this mm-hmm. sounds terrible but I in particular about the books I read I don't read like Oprah's book list I no offense to Oprah but I don't like they're awful really, I'm sorry I don't, I don't care about you know Oprah. she doesn't I, know me <laughs> I try to be careful if I I used to be of the mindset that no matter what book I read even if it was bad I would finish it mm-hmm. I no longer there's too many wonderful books out there fiction and non-fiction and poetry yeah that yeah. i just if something doesn't hit me in the first couple chapters i just i, I i'm done with it you know and i, I go agree. on to something else i have but, a folder on my kindle called didn't finish when i've da- <laughs> when i downloaded it when i've downloaded a book and i started reading it and i'm saying kill me now and i just said the same thing i was like i'm not going to delete it i just put it in that folder called didn't finish and every now and then i'll pull it back out i'll read a couple more pages and go nope Still don't like it, and it back into the folder it goes. I totally agree with you, Suzanne. There's yeah. life's too life's too short. Yeah, there's we're, just too many not, books. We're not liking that 17 and 1800s for books were so rare that we can't. We have to read what we have, right? Because there's so much choice <laughs> oh, out there. Yeah. There is so yes, much is. choice. Whether you yeah, like nonfiction, exactly. Yeah. And if you don't enjoy it, then what's the point? Unless you're doing it because it's your job or it's for school or something like that. If you're sitting down to read a book for pleasure. 
you should read something that you enjoy. Mm-hmm. It might not be what I enjoy, but as long as you are enjoying mm-hmm. it, that's what's important. I found that I do not like, I have not enjoyed a single book on the, on the Oprah book list. Not one. There's just one I have that's coming Other up. Other than uh, I'm that, talking the, about. Uh, um, um, what's her name? Gosh, she, she loves her. Uh, oh, never mind. Uh, but it's an it's, uh, uh, American author that's really um, uh, uh, color purple. Uh, oh, Toni Morrison? Toni no. Morrison books. They're, they're good. I read those a long time ago before Oprah had her list. But uh, Oprah, I think, it just became a reader. I don't think Alice, or Alice Walker. Alice Walker. And right? Alice Walker, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I yeah. saw the movie. I didn't read the book. See, yeah, I like she... to mix it up. I like to, you know, and I, I think it's good what Oprah has done is because she's encouraging people to read. I will never slam oh, anybody yeah, for that. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. But some of her choices, I just think, no. I think they're, I think, they I think, think, they're, I think it, it's like pop music, you know. It's kind of, some of her, the, the, the books she chooses to me are almost like bubble gum. But, mm-hmm. not always, but sometimes. Yeah, but sometimes. that's, I like to mix it up with nonfiction and, um, you know, poetry and fiction. Those are the three genres I go back and forth because I love history and I, I'm not really big on philosophy. That's why I was really surprised that this swerve I'm even reading because philosophy is like, ah, I tried to read once the Plato's the Republic and I thought I was, I just had to stop. I, I said, no way am I going, I can, I can live my life without reading this. I'm just going to have to. <laughs> but I think, um, you know, I, th- I think what she is doing is trying to inspire people to read which you know that's always a very noble gesture you know is to get kids to read like you know how could people a lot of people were really up in arms when people started reading when kids were reading harry potter but what they didn't realize was the upside is kids were reading absolutely so you know yeah they'll read harry potter now but then something else will you know get them excited and they'll continue to read it's the habit of reading i hate to see that we will ever lose the habit of reading because although I love reading on my iPad, I still love to read books as well. I mean, you know, I love the feel of books. I love the smell of books. I, I don't know. I do too. I, I when I'm in my tub now, I read my paperbacks that I still haven't finished reading. Um, cause I don't want to use my Kindle and drop it in the tub. Right. <laughs> well, Suzanne, when you mentioned Harry Potter, my, my middle son that I mentioned was the author. None of my kids, I have all boys and none of my kids liked to read. I would read to them all the time. But they just did not like to pick up a book and read themselves. And especially the, the oldest and the youngest to this day do not read. But my middle son, in, when he was in seventh grade, I bought him the Harry Potter, the first three books in the Harry Potter series. And we had, um, we had like his and her bookmarks. Because when he was in school, I would read it. And when he came home from school or on the weekends, he would read it. So we both had our bookmarks. And he loved that book so much. He went out to Walmart one night at midnight when it came out to buy it. to be able to yeah. be the first online to yep. buy the book. And he started reading it immediately. I'm like, why don't you just go to bed and read it? To-? Nope, reading it now. He turned into a reader. He has his Kindle. He reads all the time, and he ended up writing books. Wow. See, all because yeah, he picked up a Harry Potter book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. See, I think I think you can also get out of the habit of reading if you don't find what you are interested in reading might interest change over time. You know, I want to be something else, some different genre. And, and I had a friend in college. We both used to read together and share each other's books. Uh, and now she doesn't read anymore. I'm like, I can't believe that. I remember every second that you had, you had a book that you were reading, Stephen King or something that she was reading. She liked those kinds of books. And she just got out of the habit of reading. I said, I don't see how you can get out of the habit or doing something you enjoy. Mm-hmm. My mom was a reader. My mom would read the back of a cereal box if she didn't have anything to read. So I, and that just grew up with books. And also, I'm lazy, and that's how you get out of doing housework. Is you're reading. Of course, she's busy. You're, she's reading. Yeah. <laughs> My mom would say, "You don't have to do any work." And if money is an issue, there are. If you have a Kindle, but you really can't afford to spend the money on, you know, twelve ninety nine for a book or whatever it happens to be. There are a lot of free books, and if you go to your local library, you can borrow books from the library that download onto your Kindle. Not only that, the library has a lot of the bestsellers, you know, and not long after they come out either. So uh, there's a lot of alternatives. Yeah, so if you want want the actual physical book or you want to download onto your Kindle or your iPad or whatever, I've done that too. I borrowed a few books that way. 
Then there's the uh, there's the uh, public domain books too, though. Yeah, like Goodreads has those. Yeah. yeah. The, Gu- the Gutenberg the, Project. And the Gutenberg yeah. Project. Yep. You, you know, I, it's funny that you were saying about your son because I I was an only child for six years before my sister came along. So I always, I was reading at an early age and I always loved books. And my mother, um, you know, my mother and father to give me a treat, you know, it was always a book. They'd go somewhere yeah. and they'd bring back yeah. a book. And I'd always get yeah. so excited about a book. And one of my, I remember the Scholastic Book Fair where mm-hmm. you got to pick the books. And I, I would have a little budget. My parents would say, okay, you can spend two bucks. But the paperbacks were 25 cents. So I would have much, many more books than I could that went over that $2 or 50 yeah. cents. But one of my favorite books when I was a child, and I was thinking I should probably reread it, was um, My Side of the Mountain. I don't know if you remember that, but it's about a little boy who runs away. And he goes up to the Catskill Mountains and he survives. It was like a survivalist story. And there were diagrams. And I thought that was the coolest thing. That would be, the, that would be like the perfect thing for me. I just run away to the mountains, have a little shelter, you know, <laughs> have my falcon go hunt with me. I thought, yeah, that's my – and, you know, I fish for my food. I just absolutely loved that book. I think I read that until the pages started falling out. I would just reread that and reread that book. I I was quoting it, I think, at one time. But I actually, actually read one of those books, too, similar, but I was much younger. It was called The Boxcar Kids. Oh, yeah, yeah. You remember those? Yes, yes. I love that. <laughs> I love those series. <laughs> well, I was going to bring with me, I forgot to grab it off the bookshelf when you were saying, Cizé, about the Scholastic Book Club. Mm-hmm. I did that when I was in school. Actually, that's how I got my son the Harry Potter books was through that. Um, I still have this book that I bought maybe in third or fourth grade. So we're talking the 70s. It's still on my bookshelf to this day. Still one of my favorite books ever. It's called Mrs. Pickle Wiggle's Magic. <laughs> and it still has my name signed on the inside of it. <laughs> it was by, by, Betty, by Betty McDonald. And it was just about when what parents would do is when their children misbehaved. If they told a lie... Or if they didn't do their chores, or you know, nothing huge, but Mm -hmm. things like that, or they weren't playing nicely with their siblings, the parents would bring the child to Mrs. Pigawill, and she would use her magic to teach the children that you have to share and that you have to do your chores and you have to be nice to other people. I read that book. I cannot tell you how many times, and it's still sitting on my bookshelf, along with my absolute favorite book on the face of the earth. No thing, nothing will ever top it. Green Eggs and Ham. Oh, yes. That's like my first That is my absolute favorite book. Anytime I know someone who's having a baby, along with whatever I get them for a gift, I give them a copy of Green Eggs and Ham. I always like Cat in the Hat. I love Cat in the Hat. I love the Cat in the Hat, too. But those books, I learned how to read from those books. Yeah. You know, I started associating the words with, uh, you know, because I memorized it. So I started associating it with, Oh, that word means this, that word means that. And eventually I sort of taught myself a little bit how to read before I even, you know, went to school. So my mom started buying me more books. But um, my first book series, because, you know, I love reading book series as a child, was Betsy Tatsy series. Do you remember? You guys remember that? No. Betsy Tatsy no. no. and Tib. And it goes from <laughs> them being a young kids all the way to their adults and get married. Hmm. No, oh, I've never heard of that one. It's by Maud Hart Lovelace, is the author. It, they came out between the 40s and, the, and 1955. Not that I'm that old, but that's when the books were originally published. Mm-hmm. But um, they're, um, I love those books. I love, I, I just fell in love with reading uh, by getting those books from the library. So. Well, hmm. what was brilliant about Dr. Seuss was that the rhyming, you know, mm-hmm. it was so easily, easy to teach kids to the story. Yeah, exactly, because it was all rhymes. You know, Sam, I am, I do not like green eggs and ham. And it had almost that iambic pentameter, yeah. you know. It was yeah. it was great. It really was. And, I, I love all those books. In fact, Suze, being a quilter, they have green eggs and ham fabric. Oh, do that Because last year for my son's birthday, whose name is Sam, I made him a green eggs and ham quilt. Oh, that's great. And the whole back of the quilt says, Sam, I am, Sam, I am, Sam, I am. Oh, it just says, Sam, I am. And on the front, I've got the green eggs and ham. And oh, I've got that's doctor. great. It's, it's awesome. Because because he you know being Sam he goes by the name you know everyone used to call him Sam I am and so he does that like for fantasy football and fantasy baseball teams you know he's like his his team is called Green Eggs and Sam. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. 
it's too well, all the, all the, oh, speaking of Dr. Seuss, Oh, the Places You Will Go is fabulous. That's a wonderful oh, yeah. book to give anybody who's graduated from high school or college yeah. to. It's just a great, that's a great book. I just feel sad. He was brilliant. Yeah. I just, I just feel sad he wasn't named a, a, a poet laureate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. So we have hit the well over the hour mark. So we are going to end it right here, but we still have a huge list of books that we want to share with you. So our next episode will be part two of books we love. So um, just to wrap up, I gave all the contact information at the start of the show. Just basically go to 3geekyladies.com with the number three spelled out. You'll find all the ways that you can contact us through Twitter and Facebook and email and so on. And please, 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 please send us your written or audio comments about listener's choice. What technology do you love? It could be anything. It could be two sentences. It could be a 10-minute review of something that you love. It doesn't matter to us. We just want to take all your thoughts, put them together, and share it with the rest of the world sometime this fall. So for Suze and Vicki, I want to thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time. Wait a minute. Can I say something? Oh, sure. This is supposed to be books I love because this is books on my reading list. Books I love are like Of of Human Bondage by Somerset Mom. I mean, that type of stuff, like of Tale of Two Cities. I didn't go into classics because I thought it was just on our current reading list. Well, bo- books I love, books I'm Sorry, I'm guys, I didn't get the memo. <laughs> I didn't either. Only Elisa got it. Oh, I guess <laughs> so. These are not my favorite books. Well, these are they're still books that we're reading. Books. So next yeah, week, books, okay, books that we're reading this week, next week, it could be, you know, books we're reading and books that we absolutely love. How's that? Okay. okay. Cool. All right. Because this, uh, this to me was like a summer reading list. That's what yeah. I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So next time okay. it will be books that we absolutely love, in addition to books that we're currently reading or about to read. How's that? Well, it's going to be a five-hour episode. It so might, just, yeah, just they, have a disclaimer yeah, now. Yeah, there might be a part three. Who knows? Maybe there'll be a part three. So Maybe they'll just be. this will be the, it for the rest of the year. We just talk about books. We just talk about books. Yeah, yeah. that sounds good. And later, re- <laughs> listeners, tell us what books you like, because I've already got a couple of my lists now from what Suze and Vicky have recommended. What do you like to read? Let us know in the Google Plus community, and we can just add that to our ever-growing list. So again, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Happy reading. Bye-bye. movie fan a film fan well check out the international film club podcast right here on the spotlight network tim chatton and alex barker dive into a different movie every time ranging from classics to some of the newer stuff and sometimes some obscure stuff that you actually might enjoy so check out the international film club podcast right here on the spotlight network